hey there, and uh, welcome to We've Been Had, where we talk about albums, and then you listen to us, and uh, your brain decays. Um, I am Keith Pilly, And I'm Chad Cook. And the deal on this show, as always, is we take turns picking an album, then we both go off and you know, listen to it, and do, do some homework, uh, come back and talk. This time, it was my pick. I was a coward. I couldn't choose between contemporary and <laughs> classic. So I had Chad do a blind pick between those two. And we came out with Guns N' Roses' kind of legendary appetite for destruction. Uh, the tombstone information on that record. It was released July 21st, 1987, uh, just a few months away from Warehouse that we talked about recently. <laughs> that is unbelievable. That's the time, time in the world is fucked up. Um, it was on Geffen. I always had the feeling that Geffen is kind of a in-your-face. It's like the Poochie label. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. This backs it up. Another big Geffen release a month later. Fucking permanent vacation from Aerosmith. It's, uh, they're just lighting the world on fire. Is that the one that has Dude Looks Like a Lady? That is. Yeah, that's, that's a classy. It's the beginning of Bad Aerosmith. Um, <laughs> I thought that ended with the seven, the end of the 70s. Yes. It, <laughs> good Aerosmith. Yeah, I mean, I think Good Aerosmith ended around when we learned how to read. <laughs> uh, anyway, Appetite, produced by Mike Klink. Um, several different sources made it very important to know that he used a razor blade to splice things together because he's a badass. Um, what is he, like a projectionist from the 60s? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so that's the thing. I I actually don't know, you know, if you're splicing takes together back in the tape era, I assume, like, that's probably what you did. Um, but it's just funny to me how many, like, several different sources were like, you must know. He was so fucking bad, he used a razor blade. It, as opposed to what? Yeah, scissors? Yeah. Well, scissors are for pussies. Um, let's see. This is recorded in a pretty wide selection of studios in the greater Los Angeles metro area. Songs are credited as written by Guns N' Roses with a couple of collaborators on a couple of the album filler tracks. And finally, the number one song when this was released... 87, you said? Yes. Want to take a guess? I'm trying to think. We did Warehouse. Was, did we talk about it on Warehouse? We did not. I don't know. Alone by Heart. Oh, I would have never got that. Yeah. But we have talked about Heart. Um, so I did all that talking. Uh, do you have a description of the album? If you had to describe... Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, despite the fact that it's uh, it was released in 1987, it's like one of the definitive records for classic rock radio. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know how there's this like there's like a British breakfast called Bangers and Mash? Yeah, I feel like that aptly describes this record as well. <laughs> like it's either it's either a banger or it's just mash. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair. The uh, the interesting thing is, I in just doing some prep, uh, Slash was not their original guitarist. Right, Tracy Guns. Tracy Guns with an I. <laughs> <laughs> no, not only that, fucking Slash also 
tried out for poison and lost to C.C. DeVille? The thing is, it's like, it's so... Guns N' Roses' entire sound is built around Axl Rose's vocals and Slash's guitar. Yeah. And so, like, trying to separate those two is just impossible for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I... I feel like... No disrespect to Tommy Stinson, who played bass for Guns N' Roses for a long time, but I think everyone else is sort of interchangeable. I I, I would have agreed until we did this listen. I actually I don't agree now, but oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah. it. Well, I mean, we'll get into it as we talk about the songs. You're a um, Steven Adler guy now. I am a Steven Adler guy now. I think I I, I think I actually think. I, I'm not about to defend any of them as as people, um, <laughs> especially in the eighties. But I actually think everyone on this record is superlative at their instrument. And, yeah. You know, Adler, um, uh, the best proof for Adler is that like Guns N' Roses got a lot worse when he left. And yeah, I uh, mean, true. Like, that, that is not, uh, that is not something you can argue. <laughs> Um, but no. I think some of that though is when you absolutely it's a little bit like Sunbolt right when you actually hit, absolutely hit it out of the park with your first release that's true there's nowhere to go but down that, that is also true yeah um, yeah I don't know I just, everyone's good on this though um, I guess the, the one thing you know before I start praising stuff I, did, I, I wanted to throw a disclaimer up front on the episode and I, I think we'll circle back to this a bunch in the chorus, but uh, you know, like anything positive, there's a lot of positive stuff to say about this record, and I'm going to say it. But going back and listening, I was just fucking knocked down by the lyrics. Just how misogynist this. Like I always kind of knew, but I just you know, like staring it in the face was just holy shit. Yeah. Did you have the thing? Is this kind of struck me as like a group of 14 year old boys listening to this and it's like every song's about drug use or oh totally you know about like you know oppressing women and it's just like so I, I think you kind of have to do the the ACDC thing where you just sort of set aside the yeah, as much as you can yeah I you know and it, it varies from song to song um I when we get to it's so easy like that that problematic that yes. thing is indefensible but it's uh, uh so uh i guess we'll we'll wait till we get there i'll give you my <laughs> yeah, fair enough um yeah so you know i guess i mean uh, just please know that like we, we could be talking about i don't know could be calling things out left and right but uh just know that that is happening um, One could spend an entire episode just explaining, you know, kind of. Well, I don't think you could explain it, but just like pointing out these references and like, yeah, how actually kind of appalling some of them are. Cataloging just what oh, train wreck Axl Rose can be. Um, so, like, if you weren't there, you know, we were there. It's hard. It's just I. I don't know if people now. If you were not alive in 88, I don't know if you can really just feel how fucking omnipresent this record was. Like, like this, this 
was music for a little while. Still omnipresent if you listen to KQ. Yeah, totally. That's you know, but but back then, back then when MTV actually mattered, this was like this was all that was on MTV. Um, they put the Guns N' Roses put a lot into their music videos. I feel like they, yeah, they really embraced that format. Well, a thing that I learned, I always thought that it came out and exploded immediately, and that like the the omnipresence that I remember was like out of the gate. No, it got panned when it first came out. Yeah, and uh, it it was the Sweet Child of Mine video that like slowly built up and. I don't know, that's fucking fascinating. That. Yeah, and it's, well, I mean, it's obviously it's pre-internet, right? So yeah. it's, you know, groundswell, word of mouth. Yeah. But I mean, when they recorded it, they were really just like an L.A. bar band. Like yeah. the Like the contemporaries of like Faster Pussycat and, you know. Like, totally. Yeah, I, that's that's actually that's that, that that is almost exactly the next note that I had that like hair metal was a thing before this and you know and it was like groups like Faster Pussycat or Poison like Poison had some hits you know a year or two before this Motley Crue had been around forever but I feel like this like just the dominance of this record you know escalated things and made that the default type of music for a few years. Until Nirvana, yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. That was that was the paradigm Nirvana was smashing. Uh, a guy, a writer I like, um, argues. I don't know for sure that I agree with this, but is it George Will? It is. Yes. <laughs> I was reading George Will's book on uh, on Guns and Roses. No, this this guy Tom Bryan, who's a really really good music writer, makes an argument that um, before GNR, all the LA bands. We're trying to be Van Halen, and after after Appetite, they were all trying to be GNR. And you know, as there's a, probably something to that. Yeah, as a broad thing, I think that's. Uh, and I do think like that's the thing that I was gonna bring up at some point during, you know, when we're talking songs, like the vibe difference between Guns N' Roses and Van Halen. You know, who we've talked about, and then and the record we talked about came out within a few years of this. Like, you could describe them to make them sound the same, but pretty fucking different vibes. Yeah, I mean, Van Halen's music is mostly, I mean, it's sort of, they, they do have some, like, sophomoric songs, you know, yeah. like Hot for Teacher, but it's like... Which rules. It does rule, and but it's like PG-13 yeah. humor, yeah. like, this is, this is like hitting the accelerator of that. Like, yeah. It's, I think that's it. That's... The, uh, yeah, Van Halen is rarely threatening, and Guns N' Roses is always at least trying to be threatening. <laughs> I don't know that they always hit it, but um, I just feel like they've done a good job of they did, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but just sort of branding themselves with, you know, Axl Rose is this kind of unique, you know, kind of screechy voiced frontman. Yeah, and then you've got. Slash is a really good guitar player and wearing like a top hat, <laughs> <laughs> which is is brilliant. I mean, like I I didn't like GNR in '88. Um, you know, in fact, I, I really kind of hated and resented them. But I always thought like that Slash guy, he looks fucking awesome. He's like he's like hard rock steampunk, if that's a thing. <laughs> 
You know, like he's yeah. wire rim glasses away from being a fixture in the steampunk scene. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I I read like there's he has like this origin story for how he got that look too. That he was like, you know, they were gonna play a show and he was really nervous, um, so he just decided he was gonna create a look, and so he went out to some LA stores and like shoplifted the top hat and then shoplifted a belt and put the belt on the top hat <laughs> just decided like that was going to be his persona that's how heroes are made that's that is yeah that's something um yeah no but i fucking i was not on board with this when it first came out um but you know in eighth or ninth grade i did later steal my sister's cassette of it and mm-hmm. kind of quietly sub Rosa be like okay yeah this this rocks some of it rocks yeah I mean like I said the songs that rock rock the songs that do not do not do not there's there, if you edit there's a there's an opportunity for editing here that's all I'm saying <laughs> you wanna you wanna walk into yeah, the song by yeah, song let's, jungle let's do it I mean, that's got to be one of the most iconic intro riffs in it, rock and roll. Right? It is pretty astonishing. Like, that just... I Way to fucking plant the flag. That's the way you start an album. Like, it's... Yeah. You know, nothing... Uh, you know, I'm a, little, I'm a little jaded because, like... They've been using Welcome to the Jungle at Minnesota Vikings games for, honestly, probably 10 years too long at this point. <laughs> but I think that's, uh, that, yeah, and like, it's cheesy, but it is a testament to the power of the song and just that fucking riff that, you know, how much other music, even if there's a lot of other music that came out in 87 that I like better, like, I just I respect anything that can keep cultural currency for that long. Yeah, and I feel like the not even the song, but just the guns. Like I still see people wearing kids wearing Guns N' Roses T-shirts. Yeah, they have they have persevered just in a way that I never ever would have guessed back then. Um, yeah, so I mean, you hear this, and you know, just fucking Slash can play and. And it comes in like McKagan can play and Adler can play. Axel Rose, you know, say what you will, guy can sing and like, and like distinctly, like he is the perfect frontman for this band. Yes. Like if you put him in almost any other band, I think it would be a train wreck. Well, I mean, so it's interesting because he's. A thing that I had never picked up on when I was younger um, is just how much GNR, in a lot of ways, is picking up the ball where Led Zeppelin left it and, like, running with it in a bunch of ways. Like, like some of them kind of obvious, some of them not. I think you um, said White Snake incorrectly. <laughs> Led by David cover version? Correct. Um um, no, but, but I mean, like Axl Rose is kind of, you know, he sounds like Robert Plant being tortured <laughs> and, you know, and, and it, it's, it's something, uh, you know, but, but I also, the, the other thing I was going to say is like, 
on top of all the, the flashy people who can play, like Izzy Stradlin is great too. Like he is, I think he is quietly my favorite musician in the band. Um, I'm team Slash. I mean, Slash rules, but have you listened to... So Stradlin left the band, yep. and then and have you heard the Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds? Uh, I've heard a couple songs, and they get name-checked a lot in Hold Steady songs. Really? I, I, I hate the Hold Steady. I know so. you do. That's why I brought it up. Gotcha. I, um... I went, I, you know, our friend Eric was super into the Izzy Stradlin record back in high school. And I didn't think much of it then, but I went back and listened to it, you know, during this. And it's a pretty good record. Like, like I will, I will be putting it on and just giving it a listen going forward. High praise. I know. Izzy, respect. I, I also kind of give him respect for being the one to look at just you know the circus of Guns N' Roses in the late 80s and being like yeah peace out yeah I mean I think if you're going to be associated with one Guns N' Roses album this would be the one I'd want to be associated with yeah yes what comes after this lies yep not a good record nope so what fascinates me is that like everyone agrees this is their best record and all of the songs. This is the thing I was gonna say. This is the thing I was gonna say about this song, but it, it applies to all of them. That like, Axel sings really well, but all of his words are just like. It sounds like the goal of all of his words is to convince either a bunch of fourteen-year-olds or the members of Motley Crue that he's. Like a cool badass. <laughs> <laughs> and like, but what's amazing to me is, you know, he does that here and it, it's silly, but it makes their best record. And then like the rest of his career is, is Axel trying to reposition himself as like the serious thinking man's musician. And I, it, it just, it, it's fascinating to me because like, I understand why you would want to try to redefine yourself, but I, he, he never got there. No one, no one heard Chinese democracy and was like, "Finally, Axel has weighed in on the state of China. <laughs> political protest in China." He, uh, I, I guess, for me, it's not even just the singing. It's like sometimes he's just moaning or making noises, but it all works together. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a good, you know. Welcome to the jungle is is one of those like. You know, it's probably one of the like pantheon rock songs yeah i think so i think it's got it's just it's like it's viscerally great and it's, it's good at all the things that they're good at you know there's just superlative musicianship but the thing that really hit me too is for all that like guns and roses presents as this like wild lawless dick swinging band like if you really listen to the you know, if you've got headphones on and you're really listening to the arrangements, like these songs are arranged within an inch of their life. And like these fuckers had to sit down and coordinate, you know, exactly how who's going to play what and how it's going to intertwine. And none of these songs are verse, chorus, verse, chorus. You know, they're all like uh, introduction section, verse, chorus. 
section C, you know, intermediary. I, you know, they're, they're like, they're put, they're under the hood. They're all fucking like um, good vibrations or something. Yeah. But, you know, but they're presented as like, Aah! Well, it's, I mean, to your point about Led Zeppelin and Motley Crue, like, you know, Led Zeppelin was sort of, they, they weren't really advertising it, but that was their vibe, right? It's yeah. Not like the big wild dick swinging party guys. Yeah. Uh, Motley Crue did advertise that. <laughs> yeah. And, well, sorry, I got distracted there because it, my computer, like, it looked like it had stopped recording, but it was still going. But yeah, you know, when I was talking about them picking up Led Zeppelin, I think that's another part of it is that, like, Jimmy Page was kind of quietly this very fussy yeah. technician, and that's that's here all the way. Because I think I read that that Axl Rose recorded the vocals line by line. Yeah. So, which seems impossible to me. Conversely, I, I think like with what he's doing to his vocal cords, I think it's the only way you could do it. Probably. I don't know how the fuck he toured doing this. I don't know either. Unless he's, I mean, he must have, it, that must just be his natural range. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, so I got to ask, what, <laughs> what does it mean when he says he's, you're, wait, what, my serpentine? What does it mean to be someone's serpentine? <laughs> I just always assumed he was talking about his dick. I mean, he must be. I, it never made sense though, because like... <laughs> It's like, I don't know, the whole, the whole album has this, but you're just like, you're just like, eh. Yep. <laughs> like, should we be praising this? Is this? Uh, you know, it's, yeah, I, I feel like, I don't think it's an accident that most of the beloved songs are the ones that are rocking, but also so silly that you can... You know, you can get a little ironic separation from them. Um, and then <laughs> the case is different than some other songs. It, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I think, you know, it amazes me that this is their debut album. It really does. Yeah, it is, it is astonishing. It's, um, I don't know. A lot magic can happen when when you've got Slash in your band. I guess. Do you? So this brings us to it's so easy. It's so easy because I actually think if you were able to somehow, if you were like a non English speaker, and you were able to disassociate uh, the lyrics, which are awful, you know, like the combination of Axel's howl and Slash's guitar is really good on That's, this song. I, you know, that's the thing, like, even in the bad song, you know, I don't know if there are any, like, straight-up bad songs, but, like, in every song, the two of them are doing interesting shit, like, playing off of each other, and, and Slash and Easy are doing interesting shit. Like, there's just, there's, there's always something interesting going on. I was fucking shocked to learn that when this record first came out, this was the lead-off single. The one that contains the line, I see your sister in her Sunday best. She's ready to make. That's what we're going to lead off with? Yep. Turn around, bitch. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, so no surprise that it did nothing as a single. So it's not the most egregious line in this, but the most like 14-year-old boy line in this is when Axel is sing-speaking and he's like, I see you standing there. You think you're so cool. Why don't you just fuck off? Yeah, that is, that's so... It so, almost is designed for like a junior high student. To I, like, yeah. Listen to this. Well, that's my friend. I My introduction, like I'd heard the songs on the radio, but hearing the whole album, my friend Rich just had to, you know, Really, he, he's, like, he's like, you gotta hear this, man. This is so cool. And he like fast forwarded to that part. So like, yeah, man, Axel's great. So like, I had this theory that, um, you know, when I was just listening to this, but I hadn't done my reading, I had really convinced myself that I'd picked up a pattern on this album that, uh, that you could really tell which were the songs that were gonna be the singles that were like really meticulously worked over and which ones were just the filler and, you know, and. Um, no, and I thought this was like the best example of, yeah, it's just filler. Uh, but then finding out that this was a single, like knocked that on its ass. Um, probably why it didn't succeed right away. Right. Cause, yeah. uh, you know, you, there are, there are so many better songs they could have let off with, but I, yeah, the only thing you can say is like, they eventually figured it out. <laughs> You know, they, like what record executive is like, yep, it's so easy. That's the single. You know, I mean, I was joking about Geffen being like the, the try hard in your face label, but I think there's probably something to that. And it's the most shocking song. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's, let's show what the bad boys, the LA scene can really do. Um, I do think it's pretty interesting that this song, you know, Axel kind of sings it in his lower register and sounds like a totally different guy. That's he does have that, or it does like it sounds like a different singer when he's singing. Yeah, low. Yeah, it's and, uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I guess I'm so. I'm so used to the higher pitch for sure that that's what I gravitate to. Yeah. Yeah, I would, it is impressive. It, yeah, and there, you know, in some songs, I guess that we'll get to, like, it can be interesting if he like moves back and forth between them, but uh, not. I guess he does that a little here, but not, not much. Want to hit the night train? Let's do it. Uh, so I mean, I feel like this one's filler. Like it's energetic filler, and it rocks okay, but it's not, you know. Is, is, this, is oh, Night Train a real liquor, or is it just, like, a euphemism for, like, cheap liquor? I don't actually know if it actually exists. It's like if Brass it's, Monkey, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah. like, the platonic. I, yeah, I, I would be, I, I would completely believe either way. I just, it is kind of a, you know, it is kind of cool, like, I'm ready to crash and burn. I never learn. It's, you know, he's, again, like, working as hard as he can to convince you that he's cool. <laughs> like, this very, like, <laughs> it's very specific type of cool. So I, so I always kind of love this song um, for, for, like, stupid external reasons. Or, like, I mentioned my friend Rich, uh, yeah. who was, you know, he was the big GNR fan in our circle. Um, and the same... <sighs> 
So he, uh, he was a weird dude, but he would like just kind of make up dumb lyrics to songs that he liked. So he really liked this one. And you know, there's the part early on where he's like, I'm a mean machine, been drinking gasoline. And Rich's dumb line, dumb substitution for that was, I'm a mean machine, been drinking ethanol clean. And like, that's not that funny, but I still hear that every time I hear the song. But <laughs> a few lines later then, Axel's like, I smoke my cigarette with style. And Rich's substitution for that. And like, I, so I know that this, I know that there is like 14 year old rural boy, just fucking unformed homophobia going into this, but it's so weird that it like rockets around you know, into just surreal. Uh, Rich's thing for that was always, I sit on my cigarette with style. And like, I don't know. What the fuck is that? That is, I think that is the weirdest thing. That is pretty bizarre. Yes. But that's, that's what I hear when I hear this song. That's, uh, I didn't, let me test this hypothesis. At least when I was in junior high, like the hardcore GNR kids were the kids that would like, they'd be out like trying to, bum cigarettes at the bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that tracks. It's, uh, I was never that cool. Nah. I was, you know, as this, as, as this came out, like, my friendship with Rich was kind of winding down because he was going GNR and I was going REM and just kind of never the... Yeah, where is he at now? Is he... He... He, I, I don't know, but he's the person who has done the, the best job of, like, of all the people who've left my life for whatever reason, he's, he had the best exit. He's the guy that I was back in Nebraska in a liquor store, and I just ran into him and hadn't seen him for a few years, and he's carrying several cases of beer. And I'm like, hey, Rich, man, how you doing? How's it going? What are you up to? And he just says, well, I'm going to buy some beer, and I'm going to drink some beer. And walked off, and... I haven't seen him since, but like, that is an that's exit. Pretty iconic. That's respect to a to a true Nebraskan. Um, <laughs> In kind of a dick mood. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I didn't feel I didn't feel I, I felt good about that encounter at the time. Like that that felt like the appropriate exit. Um. This has nothing to do with the song, but I just kind of scattered some uh, Guns N' Roses facts throughout my notes. Did you know that after he left the band, uh, after handing the baton over to Tommy Stinson, Duff McKagan started a financial management company for musicians? I, I to, did not know that. Yeah. Um, Successful? And, yeah. I guess it's like, a, I guess it's a respected concern, like up in Seattle. Like, he that he eventually rejoined Guns N' Roses, right? Yeah. I mean, you see Tommy Stinson having so much fun. You gotta... <laughs> Tommy Stinson's all about fun. <laughs> no, but I just, I, I always thought that was a, a you it know. It cool, yeah. Yeah, like not taking away that he was probably doing some monstrous shit in the late 80s. Like, that is a cool choice to make for a, a musician who I'm sure saw a lot of people get fucked and blow their money. and I think that's a pretty common occurrence. Yeah. Uh, anything else on Night Train? 
No. I feel like this record, there's going to be a lot where we have like three lines to say. Yeah. Uh, so Out to Get Me, uh, maybe maybe not for you, but it's one of... Do you know that uh, that Clash song on Combat Rock where they're like, this is a public service announcement with guitars? Hell yeah. I feel like this is like the proto-internet conspiracy guy version of that song. <laughs> yeah. It's like paranoia with guitars. Yes. It, uh, it, uh, again, trying to sound cool, like, uh, to get me because I'm such a badass. I, the bits where he's like, I'm fucking innocent. Like, it just sounds awkward. Like, it doesn't make, it really doesn't make any sense because, you know, like, he's, I don't know. Just, it sounds like somebody wrote this who has like a persecution complex. Well, I I think W. Axel Rose is your, is your man there. Uh, Yeah. You know, it's like. Your choice here is either he is actually this paranoid and weird, or he's pretending to be because he thinks it's cool. I'm going to hope it's the latter. Uh, um, the only thing... The only thing I... Well, I won't say that. I always It always sticks out to me at the end when he's like, So you can suck me! Take that one to heart! Like... That is up there on the most, like, I'm working hard to impress the 14-year-old boys out there. Yeah, and this dovetails into the next song that just ends with Yowza. Yowza, which is, but that's pretty great. That is awesome. I'm into the Yowza. The one thing that does hit me without to get me, like, I don't think it's a good, it, it's, you know, it's nobody's great song, but the the chord intervals in it are just more interesting than they need to be for, you know, a blues-based L.A. bar band singing about how people are out to get them. And the guitar harmonics are more interesting. And, you know, like, it, this is another one that, like, it's it's nobody's great song, but it's just more interesting under the hood than it needs to be. And I don't know. I, just, I, I do respect that. Yeah, I, I really don't think it's a good song. <laughs> no, fair enough. I mean, yeah. Like, but but it could be, if you're going to make a song of this quality, you could be much lazier, I guess. True, true, yeah. It, it just is, you know, I guess when you're when you're sandwiched in maybe between, you know, it, and Night Train's not a great song either, but it's, it's, it's better a, than it's a, better than out to get me, but then yeah. you got Mr. Brownstone. Mr. Let's move to the Brownstone. Do you say this is your favorite song about heroin usage? Yeah, you know, I was. Uh, it might be. Um, I, I was thinking about that. That I just last episode was railing about how much I hate heroin songs, but this is a legit yeah. fucking dead, dead flowers. Maybe. Yeah, that's a good one. I I, I made a list of you know of, of sort of my best drug songs for non-drug users. So I just want to put a couple of these. Yeah, by you. hit us. Uh, Another Girl, Another Planet, The Only Ones. Is that it? I mean, I, I don't doubt you. I've just, I've only ever paid attention to well, that's the, about a third of the lines. That's the question. Only space travels in my blood. Huh? Fair enough. Uh, waiting Around to Die, Towns Van Zandt. Uh-huh. Uh, hurt nine inch nails. Yeah, I, it's funny. Like I always have to. Oh yeah, that is them originally. 
Uh, for Johnny Cash, I have the Cocaine Blues. Winner. Uh, the Pusher, Steppenwolf. Great fucking guitar part. Candyman, The Grateful Dead. I don't know that one. Uh, I also like uh, Salvation by the Cranberries. Also don't know that one. What would be your... I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, well, so, I mean, if I were going to think about drug songs that I... that are unambiguous, like Dead Flowers is definitely up there. This is, of course... Um, you know, Lou Reed's heroin is pretty nuts. And I mean, then really just Lou Reed's entire catalog. Yeah, <laughs> like I guess White Light, White Heat is the great speed song. Um Oh fuck. Uh White Lines? Yes. Great. That one's uh, yeah, that's not celebratory though. That's more That's anti. true. Yeah. Well, um, so, so is the pusher though, right? True. Well the pusher's weird because they, they like delineate like Smoking grass is cool. It's the the guy is pushing. Um, I I am I cannot pull up the name of the Bowie song. Um, Station to Station. Oh yeah, a fucking great drug song. I, a lot of great drug songs. I'm just I, the, my, my my beef is that sometimes people get a little tiresome singing about how great heroin is. Um, Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. This case, like, I think part of what makes this song so good is I, they, they do a good job of, like, using the Guns N' Roses engine, you know, to position, like, we know this ain't a good thing, but but we're into it. And, like, like, like they hit that balance really well here. I mean, they probably... I doubt this is intentional, but it does strike sort of a cautionary tale tone. Yeah. Well, to a point that got weird, you know, as they were touring for this, um, Slash would start, like, or not Slash, Axel would start giving interviews, like, complaining, some people in this band are just dancing with Mr. Brownstone too much. Um, you know, so I think it... it it got cautionary in a real way, real fast, and I think that's why Adler got kicked out. Yeah, he uh, he unfortunately he unfortunately kind of spiraled after this. I think it would be having that much money and fame hosed at you in a situation where their every incentive is to act as badly as possible. And you are in your early twenties, you know, like like the strength of character it would take not to spiral there would be. And I just I think that's that was the scene they were part of yeah. too, right? Like, yeah. you know, there's just there's a lot of drugs going on. Yeah, I you know that's I for all that I talk about like this album, it sounds like it's trying to impress Vince Neil. Um, I mean that 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 impetus comes out of where it came from. You know, like that was, it's reflecting a really weird little reality that they were part of. And I don't know, but fucking Brownstone, like, like just, how about the, the opening of this? Like that, the guitar part, the like, and the, yeah, Adler's hitting. Used, like, used to do a little, but a little wouldn't do it, so the little got more and more. Yeah, like, uh, that's a great line. This is yeah. Sometimes Axel's lyrics, you know, are groany, but here, like he just he's he's using all of his tools really well. This is one where I was thinking of too, 
where he moves through his two registers in ways that like really, really suit the song. Excuse me. I really like the way um, McKagan and Adler are kind of emphasizing entirely different beats with bass and drums than the guitars are. And so there's like this kind of, you know, just the whole thing comes together as this kind of cool polyrhythm deal that like you don't fucking expect from Guns N' Roses. And like, like I, you know, I'd heard the song for 30 years before I noticed it, but once I noticed it, I was just... Yes, yeah, so like I think you kind of want them to be just like fuck ups that yeah. just rolled into the studio and yeah. But you know there is there is more craftsmanship behind the scenes than maybe one would think. Just I mean, like it's hilarious to think about. You know, last time around we talked about the replacements. Think about the contrast <laughs> between like the level of fuck ups that the replacements were that like you know, we all love them for. And like how, I don't know, like Guns N' Roses are kind of these, you know, in ways that it's very quiet and very hidden, but they're like kind of high achievers. Yeah. It's, it's, they're like the, uh, I don't know. They're like the, it's almost like a big troll job. Yeah. We're going to hook you in with us, you know, the, our slacker sort of, you know, our, slacker sort of ethos but when we get into the studio we're more like steely dan <laughs> yeah I mean, exactly oh um i'm fascinated by just to talk a little bit about like the tone on this record like duff mckagan's bass has this weird like i would think of it more as early 90s but um you know maybe he helped usher it in in the late 80s it's like the, the treble on his bass is just jacked way the fuck up. So it's like doing, doing every time he hits a note. Uh, slash. I, it's weird. Like this is a guitar album, but I actually think the guitar tone is like really, to my taste, it's kind of bad all the way through. I mean, Slash's solo tones are great, but like when people are hitting chords, it always sounds kind of flat and thin to me. I wonder if they. I wonder if it's like mixed for cheap speakers. Maybe. I know one of the stories I got a big kick out of was um, there was the the Marshall amp that Slash used for this record was rented, but it, like he loved the sound so much that he had the roadies tell the place he rented it from that it had been stolen, <laughs> and then he kept it until they went into use a practice space in that facility and the roadies were wheeling that amp in and the guys there were like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Mm, you know, fantastic. I'm, I'm not about to tell Slash how to make a guitar sound, but the, the tone to me, like, like, like to me, like the perfect, the only thing I would say should change on the production of this record would be, I wish the guitar tone Sounded a little more like the guitars on Back in Black. Like that's that's yeah. like perfect blues, butt rock. I don't I don't know if they could afford the, you know, like the, I don't know the mixing equipment at this point in their career to make it sound like that. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, like clearly it worked out for them. They don't need my advice. Um, wanna take a quick. Yeah. Break to refresh and, and come back in. 
All right, so we're back. Um, let me ask you, Chad, if you were going to describe, you, you want to describe the coolest city in the world to me. What are you looking for in that city? What are its defining characteristics? Well, I mean, I should probably, I should probably just have this disclaimer that I, I considered changing my LinkedIn headline to just an urchin living under the street. <laughs> After listening to this today, because I, <laughs> I, I think that's fantastic. I, I think this is the closest Axel gets to like pretty clever wordplay. I, I always, even when I was young and was anti GNR, I thought like the the bit about strapped in a chair in the city gas chamber, like that's that's not a bad image and use of words. Yeah, Captain America's been torn apart. He's a court jester with a broken heart. <laughs> like, it's like a societal critique. Yeah. I, I don't even remember what the words are around it, but I, I, I have always loved it when he's like, blind! <laughs> time. I feel like Paradise City has perhaps the best use of a whistle. Yes, yeah. Like, you know, that's just, uh, that is just great. Yeah. <laughs> Who thought of that? Uh, you know, this one, uh, this was a monster hit, and it fucking deserved it. Like, this is, this is a jam. That's, that, uh, just to tie it into our replacements discussion, that movie Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah. Has a great scene where Charlie Corsmo, like, is, is, like, singing along to this song. I don't remember that. Because he's, like, the, you know, the... I mean, the whole movie's stupid, right? So, it's like so, kind of a fun stupid, yeah, if I remember. Yeah, right. So he's like, you know, he he has this plan where he's gonna go to this party and he's gonna like kidnap one of the jocks and you know, like take a bunch of compromising photos of him. I don't remember that at all. And he ends up getting drunk and singing this song. Mm. Beautiful. I man, I don't know this. There's just there's a lot about this. I mean, like this song is dumb, but it's gloriously dumb. It like it 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 kind of hits the Van Halen level of just like it's, it it rules, but like it it just there's it's, it's like an Electric Six song. Yeah, exactly. Yes, right. Like it's just you 100%. know it's stupid, but it's awesome. Yeah. Yes, that's it exactly. Like if you know if he had included you know, nuclear war on the dance floor. <laughs> yes. Fuck. I, it comes in. I love how great the drums sound on this. I, I haven't gone back and listened to any poison records, but yet. Yeah. <laughs> I, but so I was thinking like, I do remember like the, there was like this thing in the eighties where, I, there was this like fashion in '80s music to make drums sound like shit. Yeah, you know, and there'd be just like gated reverb on all of them, and there, and like I wonder if part of why this record was such a monster is that like they walked away from that, and you know, the drums just sound fucking like real drums being beaten to shit, you know, and it's, I it's back to Led Zeppelin, I guess. Yeah, it's, like it's, the Who. Yeah, and like, yeah, I mean, you have to like, and not to bag up the Def Leppard drummer because mm. he's only got one arm but you know I think that they sort of ushered in that sort of like or like you think about like Genesis or something yeah. right which 
which is one of the albums I considered uh, Invisible Touch for this next next one, Whoa. but decided against it. <laughs> uh, but that kind of like, like sort of like that synthesized type drum sound. Where yep. it sounds. You know, I don't know why you'd want to make it sound more like a drum machine, but that's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, I I read a pretty good description of that. That you know, it was just. I don't know if it started with with Bowie in on Let's Dance, but I know that was that gets credit as like a record that helped um, popularize that sound. And you know, and in that case, it was just chasing weird sounds and then like there were monster hits there and so weird sounds chasing. and cocaine uh, he was clean he was cleanish by 83 that was that was the the post berlin um yeah no but i mean here like these sound fucking great this record or this song there's synths in it like yeah. i i think the only time on the record that which is and well done too because they're not like it's not over the top. No, it's perfect. It's like they're they're just hitting one note, like and it's actually the way that a lot of contemporary music is recorded, right? With yeah, like somebody you know somebody mixing in like a like you look at like a Wilco record, right? Where they just they mix in these different sonic elements. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool. It's, it's awesome. I, 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 I've always appreciated this song. I remember in my early 20s, you know, as a, a young... You may base. have actually been an urchin living under the street. <laughs> when I was a snotty little bass playing punk in my early 20s, um, I, yeah, I was hanging out with my friend Kent, and we just we were like, yeah, wouldn't it be funny if we, you know, worked up a version of paradise city how hard can it be it's fucking guns and roses and so like that was when i learned that no actually gnr songs are complicated as hell and you know are much more con you know structurally a lot weirder than any punk song um yeah so i was trying to lead you to this i axel's definition of a paradise city is a little more stripped down than mine you're just you're not interested in having pretty girls. I mean, you know, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> what's what's the transit situation like? He's an idea man. <laughs> Fair enough. It's the monorail. <laughs> oh, the grass is green. Um, I guess I feel like this is a song where you can really tell that Slash likes Thin Lizzy, which. I never made that connection, but yes. There's a lot of like harmony guitar going on. And who doesn't like Thin Lizzy? Yeah, I mean, like, like uh, that's as close to just a pass fail musical test as. Yeah, it's, a, it's the best thing to come out of Ireland since. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Guinness? The Commitments was pretty good. Yeah. Eh, not as good as Thin Lizzy. Um, anything else on Paradise City? No, uh, we're we're reaching into the seat filler section of the album. Yeah, it's, uh, the the coast. <sighs> Michelle, my Michelle. I, this might be my least favorite song. 
Yeah, the the next two actually kind of they're are not good. Yeah, but I feel like, and I never put this together. And this is this is coming from someone who spent most of their early twenties listening to Uncle Tupelo records. But if you're a teenager and you're sitting around listening to My Michelle, you just must be like, man, being an adult must suck. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Like one of my notes was just. This is a this is a song that has never ever ever felt very relevant to my life. This just it, it feels this is the low point of Axel trying to show you just what a sleazy tough cool guy he is. Yeah, just I think it fails though. Like, yeah, it's, it, it, it just it, he sounds like he thinks he sounds like a badass, and he sounds actually like the cranked up guy. Behind the gas station. Well, it's like, he's like, what, what can we, you know, I've got this idea for a song and I'm like, it's like, well, 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 what rhymes with that? Michelle, done, print, (laughs) no edits, no no notes. But most of all, Chad, the song is true. (laughs) This song is truly awful. (laughs) Um... I think I, I, I kind of hate the intro to this, but I can see like maybe it goes over big live, you know. They do that slow on the cross like, oh my god, they're gonna play my Michelle. This is great. Yeah, so I guess I I would just like they have so many other bangers on this album that yeah. like I if you're getting excited to hear my Michelle <laughs> like that's the song that comes on you go to the bathroom. Yes, I'm with you. It's funny, like, think about you. I literally, all I have for it is it sounds like what you'd expect for the coast section of a GNR album. Yeah, I just, I feel like, I mean, obviously, Sweet Child of Mine is, you know, like, it's an essay on how to rock the shit out of a ballad. (laughs) But, you know, after that, it's just like, ooh. Well, so let's let's talk about Sweet Child of Mine a little, and then circle back to what's what's after. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that on the cassette dub that I had, that I just omitted the last three songs. I I, I think I think Rocket Queen has some some stuff worth talking about, but um, but Sweet Child of Mine, like so, this is the song that made this record what it is. I did not know this until today. This song is about Don Everly's daughter, who Axel was dating. Like Don Everly of the Everly Brothers? Yes. His daughter, Erin Everly, was Axel's girlfriend at the time. Axel wrote a poem about, you know, how she made him feel safe. And, and, then, and then they were all, the band was hanging out, and Slash comes up with the riff, and they just kind of start building a song around it, and Axel's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got it. I got some words. And it just, you know, like... like just, I mean, I guess you can't argue with the result. Right. Like, I... So I read that Slash actually, at least for a while, like, really disavowed this song, didn't like it, and thought it was out of sync with the rest of the record. But, like... I, it's crazy talk. There are guitar... There, there's guitar shit that he does in here that is, like, 
I have literally woken up in the middle of the night with guitar parts from this song in my head, and like you know, like I can't sleep because I can just hear the bird like it just it is some really fucking brilliant guitar work in this. I just think if I was gonna disavow a song on this album <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, probably not I mean. This is like the seventh song I would disavow. I, I I don't know for sure, but I think he's come around. Yeah, I, I think there's a point where you got to recognize, like, yeah, okay. Um, I mean, at this point, he should just legally change his name to Slash. <laughs> yes, I I wish I'd written it down. What is what is real? He is a really interesting guy. Yeah. actually, like he's his mom his mom made costumes for Bowie and was a model. Um, he's British. And had British citizenship for quite a while. I don't remember he worked the way he got the nickname Slash. I all I remember is it's a good story. I it's the whole thing though, the hair, like yeah. like he just he's like you know he's like what Malcolm McLaren, you know, when he was like doing the trying to groom the Clash into this super group, right? The, the Pistols, you mean? Yeah, the Pistols, sorry. Yeah. The Sex Pistols. Like, that's what happens. Yeah, yes. I... How much do you... Like, like, when this erupted, how much do you think the people in Poison, you know, knowing that they had, like, chosen the wrong guy? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's sort of like... I think it was George Foreman when he was fighting Muhammad Ali. You know, he punched Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali said, is that all you got? And he was like, <laughs> in his head, he's like, yep. <laughs> like, I think that's what you're kind of, you're like, you're listening, you're like, shit. <laughs> yes. Oh, um, I think, so I think part of why this works, you know, if, if the words here came from a poem that Axel had written about his girlfriend, um, I think part of what part of what makes this song work so much is that like Axel sounds like a vulnerable human being here for once, and not just like some guy who's gonna wag his dick in your face. And like, especially if you get to you know if you've listened through the rest of this record and gotten to this point, like. That really sticks out and yeah. you know really makes it work. I it's weird then it, you know the the sections in the end where they do the where do we go now? Like, so that part I he's fucking quoting the monkeys. Really? Well, I mean that's I I I I am not your stepping stone. I I don't I, I don't know if he's intentionally doing it, but. But who doesn't he know that fucking song? He probably watched the TV show like the rest of us. <laughs> I can't imagine he. I mean, never... I watched the TV show in the, and it hadn't been on. It was this was like the mid eighties? Yeah, there was like a big monkeys revival in the eighties. I believe. I think because of the TV show. Huh? And who knew? Yeah. Was there some controversy with the monkeys that they? Were they like not playing their instruments or something like that? They so it, it's pretty interesting. They they were hired as actors, but um, Torque and what the fuck's the other guy's name? Mickey Dolenz. 
Davy Jones? Uh, the the other other one. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Two of them were like fairly legit musicians, and two of them were actors. But they all kind of slowly learned to play their instruments. So like most of their hits, it's um, you know L.A. studio musicians. Uh, but like I don't know. They were they were more legitimate than you know the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, Millie yes. Vanilli. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone's more legitimate than um, Mike Nesbitt. Mike Nesbitt. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I don't know. The monkeys are pretty cool. Yeah, uh, they're fine. They're last train to Clarksville. It's a good mm -hmm. song. The ruffians have been working up. Um, I'm not your stepping stone. Oh, actually. nice. And if we ever if we ever play live again, we'll, we'll yeah. put on people. Yeah, maybe maybe right after uh, Yakety Sax. <laughs> the world's just not ready for what we would do with Yakety Sax. Um, I don't know. Anything else on Sweet Child of Mine? I mean, no. It, it inspired a very good local beer. Yeah, that's true. The Fulton Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. That is a good beer. I think that's their best stuff. Yeah, I like the 300. But. Yeah. Um, okay, you're crazy and anything goes. I'm not. The only thing. Oh, well, you were going to say something? Oh, well, I just wanted to read you the just thinking of slash disavowing sweet child of mine. Perhaps he would want to disavow anything goes, which includes the lyrics, oh, panties round your knees with your ass in the breeze, <laughs> doing the grind with a push and the squeeze. Yep. Axel Rose. Come on, guys. Cool human being. It's funny. I, excuse me. I paid less attention than usual to the lyrics of Anything Goes because I noticed that someone, I think it's Izzy, has a, a talk box going with their guitar the whole way through. And so, like, it's pretty cool. They're, like, doing, like, wow, 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 like rhythm guitar stuff, talk boxing. And I guess that's I different than the, like, the Peter Frampton. It kind of is because it's the, the it's like mixed down so that, you know, it's like a synthesizer part. Okay. It, you know, it's not the Peter Frampton, like, this is my main thing. This is. <laughs> yeah. And it's. <sighs> he must really hate that, like, looking yes. back on it. Like, you know, everything I've heard about him. I always hated him because of that song, but he actually seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah, um, he was on that Simpsons episode. That was pretty. Fun. That's right. Yeah. yeah, he was like a he was a childhood friend of Bowie's, um, and you know they like apparently stayed friends their whole lives. And his, I don't know, his pre-solo stuff sounds not bad. Um, but yeah, that the talk box is the only only good thing about anything goes and even that it's not that cool it's just kind of interesting so i'm interested to hear your your deep thoughts about rocket queen well so i i'm not about to say that this is like a great song or like on par with the you know the legit great songs on this i for me like i always thought this song kind of had you know it, it has kind of the this the energy that that the great ones do. Just the chorus, you know, the chorus has a lot of fucking heft to it. The, Here I am, I'm your rocket queen. I mean, that's, he, 
He delivers it. It hits. Um, the vocal and guitar pairing in the in the whole song, especially in the end, is really good. So here's my difficulty: is like I want to defend this as like no, it's a pretty rocking song. But this is also the song where Axel went like max 14 year old and was like, you know what this song needs? This song needs me fucking somebody in the bridge. That's right. And like, I, I, I guess this is me getting old because like the older I get, the more, you know, when I was younger, I was just like, yeah, whatever. Ha, huh? it's still a good song. And now I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Yeah, I honestly, I think he probably wonders what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to hope. It's I mean, the, the 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 man who weighed in so trenchantly on the state of protest in China you know, <laughs> should be above. Kind so, kind of. It took it took him like fifteen years to complete that album, but so like I don't like Chuck Klosterman very much, but. His review of Chinese democracy is is a legit great piece of writing. Because, like, he opens by saying, like, the AV Club asked me to review this album, and I guess I will, but how do you review Chinese democracy? It's like reviewing a unicorn. It shouldn't exist. <laughs> and just the fact that you're looking at it is really the only headline that matters. That's pretty good. That's, uh, I, uh... I personally, I find Chuck Losterman a little smarmy. Yeah, he, he, except for that piece, he ran out of credit with me a long time ago. He and John Moe should have like a smarm off. The world couldn't handle it. Um, so yeah, setting aside the other thing that I do, that has always stuck out to me about Rocket Queen that I think is really interesting is how it, it changes from this like you know super hard rock song with fucking in the bridge to the last minute and a half or so it might even be longer but you know it has this end section where suddenly it's GNR's version of a slow sensitive song and Axel is like being nice and offering support to whoever he's talking to and like I don't know like I always kind of like that that there's like yeah. just a little bit of every bad boy has a soft side I guess you know just a, a tiny bit of humanity in the middle of this thing which does not excuse the last you know hour of <laughs> just <laughs> straight up misogyny yeah no for sure it uh <sighs> I <laughs> If basically any, if any person told me, like, I cannot listen to this record because it's so fucking horrible to women, like, there's no, you know, there's no counter to that. Like, I would say, like, yes, it is, it is, it's all that and maybe worse. It is problematic in some stretches. Yes. It, uh, but I mean, you know, if you think about, like, even if you're, even if we're we're disagreeing on Night Train, which I think is a pretty good song, but you sit on your cigarette with style. What's that? I said you sit on your cigarette with style. With style. Welcome to the jungle, Mister Brownstone, Paradise City, and Sweet Child of Mine, all on the same record, right? I mean, 
I'm trying to think of what else could be on it that would be that I'd be interested in. What other Guns N' Roses song? Yeah, I mean, n- nothing they ever did like came close to living up to this. I mean, I love their cover of "Live and Let Die." Yeah, which that's I think really is, good. Which I think is fantastic. But you know, like I'm trying to think of another Guns N' Roses song that I really like. Like I guess "November Rain." "November Rain" is pretty good. It's very baroque. That would be hard to have on this album. I guess it was in contention. Like yeah. I was surprised to learn that that was like a song that they had in their repertoire this early. Because like that would be the only other one that I could think of. Yeah. Because I mean I feel like they just after Appetite for Destruction they just started. Like I know I had friends who were really into those like Use Your Illusion one or two. And yeah. I thought that I thought that was terrible. Yep. Yep. It's a. Uh, so this maybe this is just an Iowa State thing, but I had one friend who was really trying to get me to listen to Use Your Illusion, and a different friend who was really trying to get me to listen to that, like, 24 Nights, Eric Clapton. Okay. You and I do have a mutual friend who tried to get me into both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be Mr. E.M. Jensen. Uh, floaty. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 there are, there, there are decent stuff on the Use Your Illusions. There's decent stuff on 24 Nights, but, uh, but I, I, I hate Clapton, but you know. It should have been like seven nights. <laughs> yeah, I know. Instead <laughs> of just have one good day. Yeah. Good. But, you know, he stumbled across some good work. Um. What am I trying to say? Yeah, it's just weird. Like, GNR, like, they totally, they're the sun vault of the L.A. Era. For sure. <laughs> they shot their shot, and then... It's, uh, yeah, it's like never to be heard from again. <laughs> if only. I, you know, like, but, I mean, Guns N' Roses, think about... If you are a replacements fan, you have to value Guns N' Roses... <laughs> For subsidizing Tommy Stinson. I guess. For a fucking decade and a half. It's a... Yeah, I don't know. I. It's complicated because I really, like, there are songs in this album that I really like. And I think it's a great album if you can get past some of the... Yeah. You know, some of the stuff. But... You know, I just, I can't, I'm racking my brain to think, you know, did they have a record called, like, The Spaghetti Incident? Or they did, like yeah, that? but yeah. that that was, like, that's when the, you know, diminishing returns <laughs> curve just got fucking grim. No, you know, but I mean, this record, like, excuse me, it's a weird thing where, like, I, I agree, like, this is, you know, this is a era-defining record. And, like, you know, it's got some fucking hits on it that I can't deny. Um, but I am really looking forward to not having to listen to it again <laughs> for a while. It, uh, a little, little much GNR in my brain. Yeah. Uh, if you had to pick a favorite song off of this. Oh, favorite song. I think I'm going to go with Sweet Child of Mine. It's between Sweet Child of Mine and Paradise City for me. I mean, you? well, that's I, I'm Mr. Brownstone, 
Uh, yeah, you're a heroine. Because I love to dance with Mr. Brownstone, man. But like all the singles on this were monsters. Well, <laughs> I was going to say all the singles on this were monsters for a reason, um, but then I remembered that it's so easy was technically <laughs> a single. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I my, my verdict on the album, like, I, I it's kind of great, and I have some kind of qualms about it, but, like, really, like, this fucking record is just bigger than any opinion I can have of it. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's like having an opinion about the ocean. That's a good way to think about it. I like that. That's, um, and if, I think that's it for Appetite, what a... Appetite. Appetito. Uh, I would like to put uh, indie rock on trial. Okay. Um, this may erode any remaining hipster cred that we have. <laughs> Good. Uh, but I would like to uh, review the Neutral Milk Hotel oh, Airplane shit. in the Sea. Oh, shit. I... Okay. A, I'm looking forward to that. B, I just today thought of a very good Neutral Milk Hotel joke. Oh, so I'm going to yeah. put that fucker in my pocket. <laughs> right on. Um, no, that'll be really good. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, thank you for listening. I am Keith. You can find me at Keith Pilly on both um, Blue Sky and Twitter. And I don't know. I mean, Keith Pilly. You can fucking find me easily <coughs> anywhere. I'm literally the only one in North America. Um, and I'm Chad Cook. Uh, I will be rebranding myself as just an urchin living under the street. <laughs> just look for that on every social platform. You know, you can have another cigarette, but you can't breathe. Um, we, uh, we'd love to hear from you if you liked the show or didn't like the show. Um, if you got, if you got beefs, please bring them to us. Uh, beefs can be fun. Um, if you dug the show, please tell people about it. Uh, go to wherever you got this and, um, you know, give it a review that everyone fucking says this at the end of every podcast, but the reason is that the, uh, the machines make us. Um, yeah. The algor algorithms. Yeah, to, to please the algorithms. We, we need reviews. Um, thanks again. Uh, we'll talk to you again pretty soon as we dig into what happens when milk gets neutral? <laughs> Adios. <laughs>